Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. It's a good morning. Come on, congratulations. You made it on Daylight Savings. You did it. You made it to church. Feeling good? 10.30 service, okay, but still, you made it, you know, (laughs) came late. No, I'm super excited to have you all here. It's going to be a great day. We're in a series called I'm In. We've been walking through a series looking at our identity in Christ and uh, really walking week by week. First week was I'm invited to God's family, and then last week, Brooke and I had to run down to Dallas to meet with one of our partner churches that's um, helping make this possible um, and spend some time with them. And so you had Pastor Jordan Miller from our teaching team come. Come on in and enjoy Pastor Jordan. He's the man. He's one of my best friends in the whole world, and we will get to hear from him uh, fairly often. So you'll see him every couple months rotate, rotate in. Um, it's going to be a, a fun day, though, because he talked about I'm invaluable to the kingdom of God. But I'm talking about uh, this today. I'm influential. I'm influential, and so we're going to dive into a story um, in John chapter 4 of Jesus influencing an unlikely influencer. And so we're going to take a look at John chapter 4, and and I hope you're ready because there's a lot of scripture today. Can you handle a lot of scripture? All right, we're going to be about 30 verses deep. So we're going to go John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30, and then we'll skip down after that to verse 39 through 42. So John chapter 4, 1 through 30. Go there with me if you have your Bible. If you have a digital Bible, open it up. The YouVersion Bible app is a great one. Uh, you can scroll there with me to John chapter 4. And it says this. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noon time. Now, let's just pause there right for a moment in our text. Pause right there at verse 6. Two significant things here I want to point out to you. Number one, Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's what our text tells us. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Samaria. Now, this is intriguing to me because there is divine purpose in this journey. That's what we'll find. Jesus had to go through. So it's indicating to us there's some divine purpose in this, but the reality is is that Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. He he didn't have to go through. No, no. We think that that's what it's saying to us, but Jesus is saying he had to go through, but they didn't have to go through. You see, now it was the most direct route uh, in that particular day, but it was not the typical route that a Jew would be going. You see, Jews despised the Samaritans. They didn't want to go to Samaria. The Jews despised Samaritans. In that day, a Jew would not have gone through Samaria. No, no, listen, let me just point out why they despised them. So there was foreigners that had intermarried with the Israelite population that lived there and in and around Samaria. 
So this Israelite population had intermarried with these foreigners. Um, their idolatrous religion had been intermixed into this kind of convoluted version of, of Judaism. And so they're in this strange uh, uh, moment in time when they're kind of uh, doing their own thing. And what, the reason why is because these Samaritans that were worshiping these idols, the, the Bible actually tells us that they were troubled with lions. And so they thought to themselves, like, maybe we haven't honored the God of the territory. And so they had intermixed Judaism into uh, their religions to try to honor the God of the territory. And you could actually study this more. We don't have time today. If you want to study it, I'll give you a reference. You can go to 2 Kings uh, 17, verses 26 through 29, and you can actually read about this. But what happens is basically a Jewish priest was sent from Assyria to instruct them uh, in the Jewish religion. So although they were being instructed in, uh, in the law of Moses and um, they're helping them to understand uh, really what they believe and, and trying to teach them the ways of God, uh, the Samaritans still embraced this religion that was more of a mixture of their religion. They didn't fully let go. They held on to their idols at the same time they were trying to take on uh, a faith in, Ju in, in Judaism. And so this weird kind of mixed religion happens, and you can read more about that, like I said, in 2 Kings 17. But because the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with these foreigners, uh, they were just universally despised by the Jews. The Jews were like, no, we want nothing to do with these people. So they avoided them at all costs. In fact, they were even afraid of being seen with them out of fear of defilement from merely interacting with them. And so that's the reason that a typical Jew wishing to avoid defilement would actually have not gone through Samaria, although that was the most direct route for where they were going, they would have actually chosen to cross the Jordan and gone around the eastern side of the river instead of going directly through Samaria. But for some reason we see in our text that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now we're going to find why in just a moment, but we also get a glimpse in these first few verses of John chapter 4 that Jesus was weary from his journey. Anyone ever think of Jesus as weary? I, I do not think of Jesus as weary. I don't think of him as like this tired, weary guy. I think, listen, I come from kind of like a Pentecostal background. I'm like, I think of Jesus, like it says in Revelation, like eyes of flames of fire, hair white as wool. Come on, riding on a war horse and body slamming the devil. That's what I'm talking about. Like, that's how I think of Jesus. I don't think of Jesus as weary. I think of him as triumphant, okay? That's all I think of Jesus, just high and lifted up. But it says that he was weary from his journey. And I don't think we think of him that way often, especially in this particular context. We don't often think about the Jesus who was tired, the Jesus who was hungry, the Jesus who had pain, the Jesus who experienced betrayal and heartbreak. We don't often think about the Jesus that was tempted as we are, yet he did not sin. We don't think of Jesus in these ways, but I love this passage in John chapter 4 because I think it so beautifully just underscores the, the, the humanity that Jesus took on. God truly became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the good news of the gospel. He became flesh and dwelt among us and lived the life that you and I couldn't live. He lived this perfect sinless life so that we could be forgiven. He went and died on the cross in our place. That's the gospel. And I love this story that it highlights that. So they get to the well, and Jesus is tired. He sits down. He's weary from his journey. And he sends his disciples into this, this town called Sychar, this town near them, to go and buy food. And so he says, y'all go buy food. I'm tired. I'm going to sit here by this well. I'm going to sit to rest. And now this is where we're going to lean in. Verse 7. Lean in here with me, church. It says this. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into a village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman. 
why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who's speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well's very deep. Like, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer water that's better than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? In verse 13, it says, Jesus replied this, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she said, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I don't have to come here to get water. And Jesus said, go and get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, and I love this. She's like, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Like, <laughs> that, seems to, that seems to make sense. So tell me, I love this. She turned, so tell me, why is it that Jews insist to worship on this? I love that she just transitioned. She, he's like, yeah, you've had five husbands. You're living with this guy. You're sleeping with him, and you, you ain't even married to him. And she's just like, well, why do Jews worship over here? And she just totally turns there, a right turn. She's like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm trying to avoid this. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it won't matter anymore whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and indeed it's now here, when true worshipers will worship, will worship the Father in spirit and in Truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Somebody say spirit. spirit. And let's say truth. truth. Spirit and truth. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then his disciples came back and they're shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them asked, what do you have to do with her? Why are you talking with her? The woman left the water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And now we're going to skip down to verse 39. It says this, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more people to hear the message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you have told us, because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we see that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Come on, if that doesn't make you want to shout, I don't know what will. He is the Savior of the world. Let's pray this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray right now that you would speak to us through this text, God, that you would reveal to us that you are the Savior of the world, and not just the Savior of the world, you are the Savior of our souls. Father, we honor you this morning. You are the King of kings, the Prince of peace, the Lord of lords. God, we worship you, that you are the reason why we're gathered. And God, I pray whatever is of me in this message would fall away. Whatever is born of your spirit, God, would it resonate in hearts and minds? Would it change us from the inside out, God? Use this text, God, to encourage us, equip us, empower us to live a life, God, that looks more like you. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you love God, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Here's my first thought. If you're taking notes, write this down. Influential people 
don't walk around their calling. Influential people don't walk around their calling. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, parenting has been a, a journey for my wife and I, and I, it's one of those journeys that you are always learning. The last seven years for us have been just a constant evolving uh, of our parenting style and skill set. And, you know, when we first had Arrow, he was a nine and a half pound giant, okay? You saw my wife hosting earlier, okay? She was the one that came up here. I feel horrible for her. She's little, and my son was big, okay? But I was almost more traumatized than her. Because I didn't watch that health video in class where they show you how babies come, okay? I just had to figure out myself, and I watched a toddler come out of my wife. I just, I was like, what? I wish I had a picture. I'm going to bring you guys a picture someday, okay? And, and it's like, he look. I mean, I'm holding him like, what the heck is this? I thought like, I swore he was a giant. I was like this, and my guy, six months old, he just looked like the Michelin man, like, ba- like rolls on rolls on rolls. He could not, I swear, he couldn't move. He just looked like this. All the time. And I loved it. It was my favorite age because he was so chubby and fat, he just couldn't go anywhere. So I could just like watch TV with him and he would just sit down and his chin sinks into his, you know, neck fat. It was awesome. And I just, I loved him. And uh, he, it was one of those things. He slept through the night because of his baby chub since he was like eight weeks old. And I was just like, yo, this kid is the best. Parenting is easy. People are always complaining. They don't know anything about parenting. I was like, I'm a pro. I'm gonna write an Amazon bestseller, number one BSR ranking. I'm gonna take over this space and this niche, right? And so I'm thinking I'm gonna write this parenting book. And then I had my second son. And he was not chubby. He was skinny. And like six months old, my man's like, I'm like, he's moving, he's crawling. What's wrong with this kid? And he's like walking by the time he's nine months old. And then by the time he's a year, he's crawling in the ceiling. So I said, how? How? He's crazy. And he's just one of these kids that like he loves being wild. I named him Ezra Brave. So it's like, what do you expect naming a kid Brave in his middle name? He jumps off things. He'd be on this front row stepping off these chairs and like jumping to the next. He's just wild like that. And so I quickly was like, throw out that book. Burn that book. I don't know anything about parenting. Find someone with much more gray hair than me and find someone that has great grandchildren, okay, and ask them to write the book and give you all the wisdom, okay? They, listen, if their kids survive past 10, good for them. That's the kid. That's, that's the one you want to be talking to. Uh, but then Kaya came along, and she was just different. She's just the sweetest thing in the world. I honestly can hardly believe she has a sin nature. She is the most perfect child. I'm like, God, did you make another? <laughs> no, it's just, she is amazing, though. I just, I love her. She's sweet. She's kind. She, like, literally almost never cries, so she's kind of like Arrow in that way. But, you know, both my kids, all my kids are awesome. They're all uh, unique in their own particular ways. But, um, Arrow is my, probably my most obedient child. I don't know about Kaya yet. She's too little. She doesn't know yet. But my son Arrow is super obedient. He's a good listener. But even him being my most obedient child, what I have learned is this, that even him in his obedient self, a lot of times will avoid doing things that he knows he's supposed to do. You know what I'm talking about? So, for example, he's, seven, he's almost seven years old, so we started introducing some responsibilities, some chores. We started to introduce some things that were like, hey, we need you to take care of this, right? We moved into a house before we found out we were pregnant with our third, okay? So we moved into this house uh, a year and a half ago, something like that. And when we moved in, it's a very small house, and we were like, all right, cool, like, this is going to be fine. But then we had a third kid, and now everything's everywhere, shoved in all the corners, and my office is in my bedroom, and it's all like, you know, sideways. And... 
What we found is this, we have to keep that place spotless if we want to have room to move, okay, to like live. And so one of the, the responsibilities of Arrow was to pick up, if he sees toys, if he sees clothes on the ground, pick it up, bring it to your room, put it in the hamper, put your toys in the little bins, right? Because anyone ever stepped on a Lego at 2 o'clock in the morning? It's awful, right? You Talk about rage, okay? You're just, ah, throwing these Legos against the wall. I hate toys, now, that's when you go to, you go next door, you go to over to the youth ranch, you're like, here, take these. Like, you know, get rid of these. I, I don't want these anymore, okay? You, you know, grandparents send them again on your birthday, and you're like, thanks, mom and dad, you are the worst, right? <laughs> you're stepping on them again. But I told Arrow, this is your responsibility. But know what's funny is I'll watch my son, my obedient, my, my, my perfect, like, good listening child. This is what happens. There's a pile of clothes, there's Buzz Lightyear, there's Legos, it's all right here. And my man will go, Pour himself a bowl of life cereal. He's got almond milk. He's just like <laughs> making him. I said, son, did you not see the clothes and the toys? He goes, yeah, I saw them. I said, why didn't you bring them to your room? And he'll just go, because I was going to get cereal. <laughs> I'm like, son. And this is, but here's, here's, here's the point. I wonder how often we do the same thing and we sidestep our God-given responsibility because of our distaste for something that makes us uncomfortable for a moment. It's uncomfortable to have to bend down and pick up toys and pick up clothes and bring it back to the hamper. It's not fun. It's not comfortable. You were on your way to do something else. You have to stop. It's a distraction. And, but I wonder how often, because of our distaste, to something we deem inconvenient, that we will sidestep the call of God to do something else because we had a plan for our journey. That we said, no, 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 we're on our way to do something else. Jesus could have gone around Samaria. He, he could have done what was comfortable, what was socially acceptable, culturally permissible, or, or even reputationally manageable. He could have done these things that would have fit within the perfect cultural constructs that he had. But instead, Jesus chooses to go to a place where no one wanted to go. He said, you know what? Let's not walk around this place. Let's go straight in. Because to him, he didn't want to walk around his calling. His calling was more important than his comfort. Jesus made a distinction. He said, no, 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 my calling is more important than comfort, more important than perception management. My calling is more important than fitting into these perfect cultural constructs because I know what God has called me to do. And so he went to be influential in a place that people had deemed insignificant. And he said, I'm going to go to the place that they call insignificant and I'm going to influence it. His calling superseded all of that. So when his disciples went to you know, the right, they're like, hey, Jesus, come on, let's go. We're going to go around this way. He's like, no, 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 we're going this way. And they're like, whoa, Jesus, that, Samaria is that way. I know you don't have a great sense of direction. The mountains are this way. This is the way you want to go. No, 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 we're going this way. So they go, and his disciples go into Sychar. They go to get food, and Jesus sits down by this well. And this is just any well. I want to point this out. Tradition will point to the fact that this is Jacob's well. Scripture tells us that this is Jacob's well, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob, the one that was renamed Israel, the one that wrestled with God, like that Jacob. This is who is here. And so we're in this moment, this one who was renamed Israel, the one who wrestled with God, they're at his well, and they're sitting there taking some time to rest, and in the middle of this moment, what happens was this woman is approached to draw water in the middle of the day. 
So this woman approaches, she comes to draw water, and she comes in the middle of the day. It's noontime. Now, there's something very interesting about this because this was not a common time for a woman to come and draw water. She normally would come in the cool of the morning, before the sun rises, you know, the morning when the sun's still just barely rising. They'd be coming out as a group, as a kind of a collective, and these women would come together, and they would fill their water jars, their water pots, and they would go back as a community. But this woman is coming at the very highest point of the day. The sun is up high, it's hot, beads of sweat would be dropping down her face. Not only is she coming at the top of the day, the top of the hour, she's also coming by herself. This woman's alone when she comes to draw water. So she begins to draw water from this well, and Jesus looks at her, and he asks her for a drink. Now, this sent a, a shockwave through her system, okay, because this request, uh, you have to understand, was multifaceted. The fact that Jesus would ask this Samaritan woman for water, it, it, it would have blown her mind. The Jews despised Samaritans, let alone wanting to share a drink with them. They, they, they wouldn't do that. It's not like you wouldn't just pass a water bottle to a Samaritan. This wasn't something they would have done in this time. So this is a Samaritan. This is a woman and a promiscuous woman at that. She's an adulterer. Remember, the Samaritans had intermarried with foreigners. And so Jesus, in making this request, he is crossing over racial barriers and gender barriers. And he's crossing over these cultural barriers and really religious barriers in this moment. And she can't believe it. And Jesus responds to her with this statement. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And this is why it's so important to not walk around your calling and to be influential, church, is because people are waiting for you to share the good news with them. They're, they're waiting there for you to influence them for Jesus. Moments like this, people that are, that are wandering they're waiting to be influenced, and we have an opportunity to influence them for Christ, influence them for their Savior, for the only one that can refresh their souls. This woman struggles at first to even comprehend what Jesus is saying. She thinks it's physical that he's talking about, not spiritual. She's like, all right, man, you don't even have a bucket. You've got a rope. How are you supposed to draw water from this well? This well is deep. How are you going to get this living water for me? And do you think you're greater than her ancestor Jacob? And she goes on this whole rant because she thinks Jesus is speaking to her about physical water. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This isn't physical. This is spiritual. But a lot of times we do the same thing. We think everything is physical. You know, there's a spiritual realm. There's a spiritual world. There's things that are happening. And what's happening here is he's trying to illustrate to her that, hey, your eternity can be changed. But she's not fully grasping it. She's not clicking. And so she starts to ask questions, and Jesus responds with this. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And that, friends, leads me to my second thought, which is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Influential people know the source from which they draw. Influential people know the source from which they draw. In other words, you don't need to go anywhere else. Anyone remember the first time you went to Costco? You remember that? 
I remember the first time I went to Costco. It's wild, okay, that place. It has everything, all right? I used to have to go to, like, I'd go to H&M to buy clothes. I'm going to the mattress firm, right, to go get my, my Tempur-Pedic bed, right, because I got bad back, right? You know, it's like I'm going to these places, and I'm going to the automobile store or the discount tire to go ahead and, and get me some tires for my truck. And I'm going to all these different places, going to Best Buy if I need to get a TV or some kind of electronics and vitamin cottage, ladies, to get your biotin so your hair is nice and smooth and long, right? And you go into all these different places, and you got to go to Target because you got to get your little throw pillows and you got to go to all these different places but when you go to Costco the beauty of Costco is you walk into this place I mean they got clothes they got New York Times bestsellers they got hot tubs suspended from the ceiling like magic and you're looking you're like how is that possible and it's got listen you're like babe zero percent financing imagine that in our backyard you and me you know, and it's like you started to act like that, right? And you're like, there's trampolines and there's TVs and there's iPads and there's sales and there's peanut butter in bulk. And you're like, wow, that's like that. And they got chunky peanut butter and cream. And you're just feeling good. You go to the back and they got little samples and snacks. They got cheese platters and charcuterie, right? You're feeling like you're at some kind of wedding and they're handing them to you. And they're like, man, uh, let me tell you, that's on aisle five. And if you buy it today, we could offer you a coupon. And you're like, I love coupons. And you're clipping up the coupons and you're walking around and it's just awesome. Costco has everything you need. You can get your eyeglasses there, you know, because at the end of the day, typically when you're shopping at all these other stores, you got to go find a restaurant. Costco, you even got to find a restaurant. When you're done, you walk up front, they got pizza and ice cream. Amen, right? Hallelujah. You walk to the front, they have everything you need. They are a one-stop shop for everything that you need. And I think in many ways, we can find the same thing, that we go to many different places for the things that we need. We think that, man, I'm going to have to go to relationships to find my purpose. I'm going to have to go to my 401k and my bank account to try to find peace. We're going to go to a bottle to try to find courage. We're going to go to these places. We're going to go to find entertainment to find our joy. And we're going to go to our careers to try to find life. And we go to all these places, all these wells, and we're drawing from it. And we find that we're thirsty again and we're dry again. And we end up in the same place that we always end up when Jesus is like, hey, I'm a one-stop shop for everything you need. If you need love, come to me. If you need courage, come to me. If you need joy, you come to me. If you need peace, you come to me. If you need life, you come to me. Jesus is a one-stop shop for everything that you need. You don't need to draw from any other well. Because every other well, you will come up dry. Every other well will not satisfy. It promises you refreshment, but it will only leave you parched. Only Jesus will quench the thirst that your soul is crying out with. It's only Jesus. He's the only source. He's the living water. This reality is what he was trying to communicate to this woman who has clearly been seeking to fill a void in her heart and her life. She has jumped from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to fill this void and this pain and this thing inside her life. And now she's living with this man who's not her husband, and she's just searching, trying to fill herself with love, fill herself with this thing. She's like, maybe this will satisfy me. Maybe this will finally be what I'm looking for. Maybe this will give me the love that I'm looking for. The, the, maybe this will be the contentment I'm looking for. And she keeps coming up dry. And here she is, symbolically at a well, again, getting water. That's only going to leave her dry. 
how often do we do the same? Drawing from wells that just leave us dry. It's my last thought before we start to land the plane. Write this down if you're taking notes. Influential people, number three. Influential people know that reaching the one reaches many. Reaching the one reaches many. See, the beauty of this woman's encounter with Jesus is that Jesus made her feel seen in a culture that deemed her invisible. Jesus made her feel seen in a culture that deemed her unworthy. Jesus made her feel seen when she felt like no one would ever see her. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And as we discuss in this day and time and this culture, these were detractors for her. Uh, she was a serial adulterer. She would have been put out. She would have been someone that was uh, c- considered not worthy of, your, of their time. Women would have, that's why she's not going in the morning with the rest of the crew. Again, even like the woman we talked about last week, I mean, it's a similar situation. Imagine these women sneering at her, looking at her, casting judgment on her. Do you know her past? Do you know where she's been? Do you know who she's been with? Do you know her story? Looking at her with shame. And this woman clearly feels it because she's unwilling to even go near the time where they're going. She waits for them to come back, and she waits till the, 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 the hottest point of the day, noontime. And she goes by herself, by herself, to draw water when no one else is around. My heart breaks for this woman that she feels like she has to be alone. She feels like she has to be isolated. She's too ashamed. So my question is this. Can we be a church that chooses to be an invitational church to the people that are too ashamed to walk through our doors by themselves? The people that feel like, no, I can't go there. I can't go with those people. Those people, those church people, these people that got their lives all together. Right, because everyone in here got their lives together. (laughs) I can't go there. Can we be a church where people are not too ashamed to come and drink with us, to come and break bread with us, to come and do life with us, and we can say, hey, I'll save a seat for you. Hey, I know, I know you've been going to all these places in these relationships, and I know maybe it's a co-worker. I know you've been going to all these places. I know your heart's broken right now. Can I invite you to try something different? Why don't you meet me at 1030 on Sunday? Why don't you meet me at 9 on Sunday? I want to I I introduce you, not just to a place, but to a person, and his name is Jesus. And I want you to encounter him with us as a body, and, and I want you to just experience something different. Because you've been looking for all this fulfillment in all these places, but I promise you there's only one place you're going to find it. Would you just try it? Invite them here, because I promise you our culture will not allow for sneering, for looking, for saying, huh, what's her past? What's his background? Where is he from? He was in jail. He did that. We don't have a culture that does that, do we, church? It's not who we are at Oasis City. You can walk in here with anything. Your past does not disqualify you. Your story matters, and God can use your story of redemption and your story of healing. And listen, whether your story is the the drug addict that got free or whether your story is that your parents were, were faithful Christians that raised you in church and you lived on the straight and narrow the entirety of your life, can I tell you something? Both those stories are powerful. 
There's story in the power of redemption from addiction and from brokenness and from, from atheism, from loss. But there's also power in the fact that you were raised in the church and that you have been a, a faithful witness of Jesus since the time that you were a child. And, man, you don't remember when you gave your life to Jesus because you might have been three years old when you made that decision. Listen, there is power in that story, too. God wants to use your story. So let us not be a place where people feel too ashamed to come and drink with us. But let us go beyond that. Let us go beyond that to the place. Can we be a church that not only allows people to come here, can we be a church that goes, that actually goes and serves? You know we have a number of people that are serving every week our homeless population downtown. There's people every week that are going to neighborhoods in Boise that you might be like, I don't know if I want to walk around there at night. And they're out there serving people. They're out there telling them about Jesus. They're out there inviting them. They're out there encouraging people. That's the kind of church I want to have is people that we would go to the underreached, underserved parts of our city and that we would plug in. And not just the, the homeless population, that we would go to the people that are the, the, the high ups, the people that are out there thinking that they're living their best life. And we'd say to him, hey, hey there's more. Hey, ma'am, ma'am, there's, there's more. Hey, I know that you have all this money and all this wealth, but I want you to know there, there is more. Hey, I know you lost your home and, and you don't have anything right now, but I want you to know there is, there is more. And then materialism and all these things, that's all passing away. It's all going to be gone. But one thing remains, and I want you to come and see the one thing. Can we be a church that goes and a church that invites people to come and meets them right where they are? Because, friends, God has always been about the one. He's always been about the one. I can prove it to you from the context of this story. You see this well, this well that Jesus and this woman met at. I want you to understand just contextually how, how powerful this story is. This particular well, Jacob's well, was dug 1,800 years before this particular moment in time. 1,800 years before this woman and Jesus would have this life-changing encounter for her, God in his, in his perfect foresight and knowledge, God in his sovereignty knew he already pictured this woman 1,800 years before as Jacob dug this well. And he knew that 1,800, almost 2,000 years later, this woman and Jesus were going to have a conversation that was going to be a, a, a pinnacle of her life, that is going to be a trajectory moment that changes her eternity. And God in his sovereignty, this is, listen to this. 2,000 years before the well was dug, Jesus and this woman have this moment. 2,000 years ago, and God in his sovereignty made sure that that interaction was recorded so that then 2,000 years later, you and I would have the opportunity to look at the story and see the grace of God that was put on display for this woman and understand that it's accessible for you and for me today. That is the goodness of God. And so if you've out here, you're out here, and you might be thinking, man, I just, I don't know. But here, let, me, let me just tell you this. God sees you. God knows you. You and I have the same opportunity to encounter the living water that she did. And God ensured that it was recorded for us that the, so that those of us who have been marginalized, downcast, depressed, anxious, broken, hurting, those of us with a scarred and traumatic past, those of us that have been through mistakes and we have our shortcomings, and those of us who, who we could just look at this story, we could read about this encounter, and we could see the grace of God and say, man, it's sufficient for me too. It's for me and it's for you. 
and we can realize that our souls are dry, that we're thirsty, that you and I, we've drawn from all the wrong wells, we've gone to all the wrong places, we've done all the wrong things, and we keep coming up dry. Every time that we've been thirsty, we go to these places and we come up dry because temporary pleasures cannot satisfy eternal longings, eternal cravings, eternal thirst. Temporary pleasures are exactly that. They are temporary, they are fickle, and they are fading. But we have an opportunity to drink from living water, to have an encounter with Jesus that changes the trajectory of our eternity. And so God once again says to us the same way he said to her, I want to read this to you. If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. Anyone who drinks this water, which is, again, the water of the world, right, these other places that we're drawing from, will soon become thirsty. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And so, friends, if you're questioning if God sees you, yes, he sees you. You know one of the names of God in the Old Testament is Elroy, The God who sees me. That's what that means, Elroy, the God who sees me. He sees you and he knows you and he wants to give you living water too so that you can quench the thirst of your weary soul so that you can have the strength to come and invite others to come and drink from this well with you, to come and experience eternal life, to come and experience the goodness of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God so that you can invite them to come and be a part of who he is. And this fellowship that we get to experience, this grace we get to experience, this life we get to experience, you can invite them to come and be a part. And friends, that is the idea that has radically gripped our hearts. That's the reason we planted this church. It's so that people in Boise would come to know Jesus and they would be able to make him known. I remember when I was at the district downtown. I was at the coffee shop and and I was sitting in the district, and I remember when the Lord dropped that word oasis in my spirit. And I just remember this so very clearly. It, it was almost as if, like, you know those moments when you can just sense in your, in, in your gut there's something. You can sense something's different. And it was like the Lord dropped this word oasis on my heart. And, and if you look at Boise, I mean, obviously you live here, you know. Drive in from Salt Lake City. It's a high desert area. We're looking at sagebrush and hills, and it's just this flatland. And all of a sudden when you hit our city... You hit Boise. Boise is a French word that means wooded. It's the city of trees. We have this river that runs to the center of town. It really is an oasis. And then when you even consider the history of Boise and during the gold rush, this was a city where, where pioneers would stop. And there was this, this sense of refreshing and renewal that was in this city. There was an opportunity for people to refuel and regather. And so naturally it made sense to me, but in the same way in John chapter 4 that we see this woman have Jesus kind of poke in, hey, there's more here. This isn't just physical, it's spiritual. God very much so did the same thing for me. Hey, there's more here, land. And I started to understand the spiritual implications of the word oasis. It's a fertile spot in the desert where water can be found. And God said, I want you to plant a church of refreshing hope, healing, and renewal for the city of Boise. I want you to be an oasis for the wanderers, for those people that are gifted with grit, but they're questioning the purpose and the direction of their lives. They're wandering through life, trying to find their own way. And your opportunity is to come in and show that I am the way and the truth and the life. That is who Jesus is, the way, the truth, and the life. And that is who we are. It's why we exist. We want people to come in here, these people that are wandering. We want to say, hey, Jesus is the way. 
He's the way you've been searching for. He's the life you've been looking for. Hey, everything else, all these things, you've been deceived. He is the truth. That's who we are at Oasis City. So we want Boise to know that they have a place that they can come and they can experience refreshing hope, healing, and renewal. They've been wandering around dry, going to these different wells, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you're the person that's been wandering and going to these different wells and going to these places. You think it's there. You think it's peace there or courage here, relationship here, whatever it is. You're going to these places and you keep coming up dry. You keep finding yourself empty. You keep finding yourself running and just going, am I ever going to quench this thirst? Today is your day. Jesus wants to meet you right where you are today. Right where you're at, he wants to meet you. He wants to know you. And so I just want you to hear me today. He loves you. And he has living water for your soul. And he wants a relationship with you. And you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. He wants to give it to you. He wants to have this relationship with you. The Bible's very clear that God sent his only son to die on a cross in our place. Jesus paid the penalty that you and I deserved. He went to the cross and died this brutal death so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He was buried in the ground. Three days later, he rose victorious over death, over hell, over sin in the grave. He's ascended and seated at the right hand of God now with all honor, power, and authority. And Romans is very clear that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that we will be saved. And so I want to be clear with you today. You don't have to earn this. You can choose right now to have a relationship with Jesus, to put your faith in him, and to have that thirst in your soul quenched. That thing you've been looking for, it's Jesus. That hole that you've been trying to fill, only Jesus can fill it. And I want to give you that opportunity today. So if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed in the room, I would love to know who I'm praying for. And so I'm going to ask you on the count of three, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand nice and high and just say, hey, that, that's me. I want to put my faith in Jesus. So one, two, three, if that's you, would you put it up nice and high? It's awesome. I see you all in the front. It's amazing. Come on. See you in the middle. It's awesome in the back. Awesome. Awesome. It's amazing. Thank you. I see you in the back in the middle as well. Anybody else? I don't want to miss you. I'm sorry. It's hard to see in the back. I see you. Thank you. Hey, you can put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray this prayer together and there's nothing special or magical about this prayer it's just simply a heart declaration saying i'm putting my faith in jesus if that's you just pray this prayer let's pray this all together as a family just say dear jesus today i give you my life i thank you for forgiving me of my sin i turn away from my sin from my old life and i turn towards you i ask that you would take my life and do with it whatever you want to do Fill me with your spirit and guide me every day of my life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate that? That's the best decision you could ever make in your life. It's the best decision you could ever make in your life, I'm telling you. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Don't leave it here. Tell somebody, mark it on a connect card, go out there and talk to somebody next steps. We want to walk with you. We want to give you a resource called Following Jesus. It's going to walk you through why we do the things we do. You're like, why are we worshiping? Why we got music? It'll walk you through all that. It'll walk you through just basic steps of faith. We'd love to give that to you for free as a resource. We want to bless you. So please, don't leave it here. But would you all stand to your feet with me?
I wanna pray for all of us, but I first wanna just remind you of just kind of some key elements of this message. Number one, don't walk around your calling, church. Get uncomfortable. I mean it. <laughs> Get uncomfortable. Talk to someone you wouldn't normally talk to. Start a conversation that you wouldn't normally start. Don't walk around your calling and don't go anywhere else. Quit trying to go to all these other places. Jesus will satisfy. If you're in here and you're still skeptical, I promise you, you can look all you want all your life and you can try to go to these other places, but only Jesus will be the satisfaction that your soul is looking for. There is nowhere else to go. Know the source. And the last thing is reach the one, church. Reach the one and you'll reach many people. This woman was an unlikely influencer. She had many detractors that would have uh, caused her not to be one, uh, really an influencer in that day. And we, obviously the word influencer has been hijacked in our culture. But you have an opportunity and your story matters. Your story is significant. Her, she told her story and, and her town ended up getting saved. She tells her story and all these people begin to go, oh, tell us about this Jesus guy. And literally her entire town begins to come to know Jesus because she was willing to share her story. The Bible's clear that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's our story. That's how we overcome the enemy. That's how we overcome. It's the blood of the lamb, the shed blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony, our story. So tell your story. Tell your friends what God's done. Tell your family what God's done in your lives, what he's doing in your kids' lives, what he's doing in your marriage. Tell them about what's happening in Oasis City. Invite them into your story because you never know how God will use your story to impact and influence the lives of people around you and who will come to know Jesus because they saw the grace of God operating in your life. Your story matters. Father God, I pray right now for this church. God, I ask that you would use us. God, let us be people that are bold with our faith. Like the book of Acts, God, we see the church was bold with their faith. They were bold about what they believed. They were bold about their claims. They were bold about who Jesus was. They were bold about their faith in him. God, I pray that we would be bold. I pray that we would be brave. I pray this church would have a zeal and a passion and a fire, God, that we would be a church that goes into our community and we influence the influencers, God, that we would influence unlikely influencers, God, that there would be impact in our workplaces, impact in our families, impact in our kids' sports teams, impacted the schools. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would use this church to radically influence the Treasure Valley in the mighty name of Jesus, God. Lord, we honor you, we love you, and we are thankful for the grace that operated in each of our stories. Some of our stories, we're still in the middle of them. God, I pray right now you for those people that are in the middle. God, I pray for the grace to surrender all to you. To go to you knowing that you are the only source of true life and true joy. Father God, it's an honor for us to worship together as a family. We ask you to be with us this morning as we leave. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.